everyone. It's time to eat, drink, and be merry with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio. You know, we love our first Saturday shows with Diva Linda. Diva Linda is uh, the food, wine, and shopping diva. Her name is Linda Kassam, her true name, but we just call her the diva. <laughs> Uh, she is on the show every first Saturday, and uh, she's either talking about a travel destination or food, wine, shopping. Uh, she likes things that glitter and sparkle, um, but she also likes really good wine. And when Diva Linda says, I'm bringing really good guests on the show, we listen and we know she never disappoints. And today she's got two special guests joining us with some really special, and I mean really special, exquisite wine. Uh, we've got Dave and Sarah Spector joining us. Uh, they are the owners of Bells Up Winery out of the Willamette Valley region of Oregon. And I encourage you to go to their website, bellsupwinery.com. And also keep up with Diva Linda at All in Good Taste, right? She's a diva. Allingoodtaste.info. But first things first, the diva's on the show. So welcome back, Diva Linda. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. I'm getting ready to transition to Seattle in a couple of weeks. So desert behind me and boats in front of me. Oh, so are you going to have wine while you float again? Because normally in summer, yeah. I know you you carry a bunch of wine in the belly of the boat and keep it cool. We do. We do. We find um, uh, crazy places, put them that are uh, under the water line in the boat and they stay a beautiful 52 degrees or so, pH. And uh, yeah, so uh, we do each year I try a new winery and then we try them with the stuff that we catch and stuff that we restaurants that we go to that don't have wines because when you're out in the middle of Canada, the wine lists are non-existent or what? Um, limited. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Yes. When you well, when you hit a town of three hundred. Oh yeah, maybe, yeah. I maybe see not, what you mean. Yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah. 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 You're getting that stuff coming out of the box kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if you can find it, actually, you know, um, Ooh, wine coolers, wine, coo wine coolers are good. And uh, yeah, so anyway, we'll see. We have a new itinerary this year. And uh, so we'll see. But we're always stocked with wine. And that's the point, the point of your question. And uh, a lot of fish, a lot of fish go on this. Listen, trip, Lin so. Linda's not getting on the boat without her wine. That's truly the thing. And and, <laughs> and a new pair of shoes, new <laughs> shoes and wine. <laughs> Otherwise, she's not doing it. Pair. I, yeah, I, I knew you did. I, you know, I I'm very excited to have you both on the show, Dave and Sarah. Um, we love your wine. We were tasting it last night and um, just, um, you know, especially white wines, you know, Nancy and I are picky about white wines. Um, and, it, and I think this country is getting better and better and better about them. You know, we lived in South Africa for many years and, and white wines just were it was it's the best water you could ever have <laughs> and, and and so then coming over here it took a little while for us to like find our our feet and whenever you find a really good white wine um you're going yay and uh, tell us a little bit about that I, I want Linda to chirp in but I just want to start with that because it, it it's the Helios right that we had that um this uh, tell us a little bit about it because this is this is a pure breed <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Lisa, for having us on. So yes, you what you had was the Helios. And uh, the Helios is made from a grape called Saval Blanc. And that's S-E-Y-V-A-L. 
I suspect that it's a wine that very, very few of your listeners are familiar with. Mm. To be fair, about 99% of the people we get in our tasting room here in Oregon have never heard of it either. Um, and that's one of the reasons for that is it's a grape that is rarely, rarely found outside of the Finger Lakes in Western New York and the Midwest and the Mid-Atlantic states. Um, it's a grape that was created in France. Um, two different, uh, two different uh, varieties of a group uh, of a, a grape called Siebel, um were blended mm. to create this particular grape. Um, but it is in France not considered, uh, quote, a noble grape. And as a result of that, none of it is actually planted in France. Where you do find it in Europe is in southern England, uh, where a lot of it ends up getting uh, oh. bubbled up, uh, made into sparkling wine. But it now in America has a home, as I said, in uh, the Northeast and in the Midwest, colder weather grape. That's kind of the key to it. And, mm. and one of the reasons why we knew that it would do very well here in Oregon, where our climate is very, very different than it is in California or in Washington state, where pretty much all the grapes in Washington state are grown in the center and Eastern part where it's very hot here. It's, it's cold. It's, it's cool. It's cold. It's wet. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of grapes that we're unable to grow. We can't grow the big heavy reds, but something like Sauvignon Blanc that's got a little more delicacy to it um, and that really does like the cooler weather has proven it can really thrive. Well, it, it was amazing to me when you talk about those different climates and regions where it's from, which we've traveled through some of those areas, um, it, it isn't sweet. And that would be the first thing you would think it would be this very sweety, syrupy, kind of wine, like maybe a dinner, you know, after dinner kind of treat. But to me, this was, you know, it, it, we, we tried it and then tried it again later. You know, we do that kind of like taste it, let it breathe and then try it again. And you start getting even more notes. And, and there was some light, light, light honeysuckle, very light. But then like, I was like, you know what? There is a little bit of grapefruit. There is a little bit of this tartness, but not over tarty. Oh, we got to be careful how we say the word tart. Uh, but Diva Linda, I mean, how did you find it too? Did you find that where you would maybe think it would be sweet, but it it was just, it's just the perfect blend. I get to use that word. Well, this wine uh, is sort of like Pinot in that it's either done well or it's not. Mm. And uh, and sometimes if it's not turning out the way winemakers want, it becomes a um, sweet wine. They just... <laughs> And then they label that as such, and that's fine. But when it's done like this, it's quite beautiful. It, it For me, it, it had uh, big notes of citrus, which I love. I like that. And an earthiness. So when you put mm. the earthiness with the, with the uh, citrus, for me, that's a winner. That's almost like a New Zealand wine. And I really, I really like that. I got a little, I got tropicals on it, trouble fruits, which uh, again is, is, a winner for me, and a slight thread of um, diesel, actually. And to me, that's very, very interesting. Now, do not think I'm saying this tastes like gas. It does not. It's just like when you say uh, uh, some reds can have sort of a, a green pepper sort of taste. It's just, it adds interest. I liked it. I think it's food friendly up the Yazoo. It's also good for patios. It, and if you're, um, Guests are tired of being, um, you know, introduced or um, welcomed with uh, a champagne or always Sauvignon Blanc. 
this is a really good conversation starter, I think. And certainly was for yeah. me when I had some friends over to taste this with me. And, um, you know, what is this? Is this heavy on the lock? No, you know, it's not. Did it come from New Zealand? No, it did not. I know, and right? That's the first thing, New Zealand, South Africa, or Australia, yep. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And uh, so anyway, I, I really, uh, and, and it was a bit creamy, which was kind of fun, and uh, which is the, is the smooth characteristic. But um, I know that uh, this was a wine that was presented to uh, some of our IFTWA members in a seminar, and it got nothing but raves. We didn't have to exclude anybody because they didn't find it pleasant. So good for you guys. That well, was, Diva Linda was, goes well with pickles, and I did try a pickle. I did. did I went in. I did. You know me, pickles. Like I'm in. Oh, so you can what, get pickles. Yeah. Did you <laughs> like that? Did that was that? Uh... Yeah, just a bite. I just took one bite and a sip, and it worked. And and here's the deal. You said gas, and so I have to go, Dave. She's allowed to talk about classical gas. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the classical gas on on your wine and your name. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the gas part, I, I can at least talk about it. <laughs> I, I will say one thing about, about Linda, about the, the diesel you mentioned. Uh, for, for those of your listeners that have had German Rieslings, that diesel will be very familiar to you. Um, that's very much the, the sort of sensation that you will get off of the German Rieslings. Just it, it happens to be in this particular wine instead. And it's just, as we always say, it's part of its charm. Um, but yeah, so... The classical music, and so our, our whole uh, sort of theme with the winery has been based around classical music. And, and the reason for that is I, I was a French horn player for 20 years. Started when I was in sixth grade. When I was in college, I was in the symphony, wind ensemble. And yes, I was also a marching band geek. Um, had a lot of amazing experiences. I, I was good enough to have a chance at a professional career. I like to think I was smart enough to not do it. Um, I had a lot of friends that went down that road, and it is just so difficult to, to make a living and still keep the joy in playing. Um, and so I, I took a very different career path instead. But, but when it came time to start our winery, you know, one of the things we think about is connections. Our, our model, because we are such a small winery, we focus so much on connecting with every customer that comes in and sees mm. And that's more important ever than now. I mean, and where we are in the Willamette Valley, we're now up to about 800 wineries. Um, so you really wow. have to find ways to get people to be able to make connections beyond just what you're tasting. And so what we, I came up with the idea of leveraging what I had done in the classical music realm and said, well, what if we give each wine a personality based on a particular piece of music? And we, we name the wines that way. Um, so, you know, when we talk about that, when, when folks are here, we talk about the relationship between the particular piece of music and the wine. Um, you know, the, the goal is so that people can kind of, as they're tasting, almost hear the music. And, and of course, you know, we can play it for them so that they can literally hear it. But the point See, is I love that. so that they can actually do that experience themselves. Um, and, and that has been a really fun way to kind of build the emotional connection for between every individual and each individual wine. I mean, you could make Save All Blanc and you could label it Save All Blanc, but when you come to us, it's Helios. 
the particular inspiration for Helios, and I, and I actually have to credit my mother-in-law for this because it, it's a piece that I was completely unfamiliar with, um, but it was a piece that was, it's basically a tone poem describing a sunrise that Carl Nielsen wrote. And I, my mother-in-law had heard it played on NPR and I went to listen to it and it was absolutely perfect. And, and tying into what Linda was saying about sort of that, that earthiness, so if you could imagine kind of a sunrise coming up over a dewy meadow and you kind of get that, you know, that little mustiness. Oh boy. Smell, that's, I thought, captured the essence of this wine so, so well that I-, I See, just, now we need more. Now we need it again. <laughs> we need it again now, see, because now then it's like the dawn's chorus, you know, see? And I am not opposed to trying it at sunrise. <laughs> I am not opposed to that. I, I don't go by the, the rules of that, you know, that kind of timing, but musical timing, yes. But I think there's something like what you're saying that each wine is an experience. And I wanted to go to Sarah on this. What is the experience for people coming to see you? Because you're such a small lot winery. I mean, that we all feel very special. I know, Linda, you probably feel the same way when you get to taste these wines and, and talk to people about them and write about them you just you you feel special that we got to have some because there's it's so small right sarah so tell us a little bit about how people can interact and and um you know can they come to the winery and just show up or appointments how does that work absolutely so um at sunrise by the way uh, yeah <laughs> yeah we're looking really good at sunrise um so 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 it is literally just the two of us um we make about 600 cases a year uh so we're very very small we do a lot of very small production um wines so the helios was what i don't even remember something like 65 cases something like that see we're special we got the specials yeah yeah very tiny uh um that's actually grown on our estate we have a vineyard here we have about 10 acres um not all of it's planted um and uh dave makes all the wine um and mm -hmm. i do the marketing and um, answer the phones and do the website and that sort of thing. Um, when harvest comes around, I'm logistics, um, but Dave is also um, host of all of our wine tastings. So we only do by appointment. Um, we do three appointments a day. Um, they are 100% exclusive to one group at a time. So uh, you come in, whether you're one person or up to six people, we can sometimes do eight, but we try to max at six. Um, that you hang out with Dave, he sits down with you, he pours the wines. Um, it's a very much a conversation like what we're having here. Um, he explains his winemaking philosophy, the approach to making each wine, um, the, the music concept, um, but it's very tailored to whatever uh, the group is interested in hearing about. So it's super customized to, um, to each group that comes through. Um, so yeah. So That's amazing. And Diva have, Linda, that is unique, right? Uh, you know, it's very unique, actually. It's very unique. And uh, like always, if you're if you're on your wine journey, this has got to be one thing that's on your bucket list early mm -hmm. so that you understand. I mean, it's very easy to go and have tastings at large wineries. And you should do a couple of those, a couple of medium, a couple of small. And then this is like a boutique winery. Mm -hmm. And you just never know when um, a winery is going to get so large or they're going to keep their production down and you won't be able to go again because it's always sold out. So 
you know, I think we have a star here and it would be my recommendation to go see this. This should be on your bucket list. It should, it should give you a different uh, view of how wine is made and instead of the great big productions and so forth. And, um, and even the small ones that do 1,500, 2,000 cases a year, this is below that. And to have an, a sit down with the owner winemaker is just unbelievable mm. so that you can hear why he did the wines. You can talk about the taste of the wines. Um, you know, some, some people, especially on their, uh, on their beginning journeys, just don't know how to express what a wine is to them. They'll say, give me something fruity. I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, yes. Or give me something dry. And they don't really know what dry means, but uh, they want it to sound good, right? I worked for uh, a wine district uh, a while back. Everybody talked dry and bought uh, fruity or uh, uh, fruity and uh, sweet. So anyway, this is not uh, a sweet winery. This is a very lovely balanced wine and winery. So it should be on your experience. Get, make that call. I mean, if you're truly I serious about wine, this is where you need to be and experienced people because experienced people, aficionados, really don't particularly care to go into a very crowded um, <laughs> tasting room where the buses have stopped or, uh, you know, or the bridesmaids are, are doing a send off or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so just, this is just wonderful. And, and certainly everybody should, if you're going to be in California, it's Oregon. Um, is it Oregon or California? Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, if you're going to be in Oregon, I thought maybe you were on the line. Um, yeah, if you're going to be in Oregon, this is something you absolutely have to go to. And since it's by reservation, you have to not call the day before. Wow. Yeah. Willamette Valley is, in itself is extraordinarily beautiful. I mean, it is gorgeous. And I mean, it's a big valley and you've got all kinds of things to see and do. And to be able to book a time with you, I think is really you know an ex an experience as wine should be and i think it, in a way i understand what linda's saying about experienced uh, you know wine enthusiasts who want that ultimate experience but i also think it's really a cool experience for someone starting out in their wine journey especially if they love music no matter what style because and and Dave, you know this, music is dynamics. And if you don't have the dynamic, you don't have a symphony. It's, you know, it's about everything, that orchestration, that symphony of everything coming together. And if you can use that as a tasting metaphor for people to understand and slow down and not play patio pounder, you know, because <laughs> we're getting to that season, right? Oh, yeah. You know, poolside pat, you know, um, but I think the Helios is perfect for spring, summer. Like it, it's a perfect wine for that. But um, to slow down and really understand and appreciate. And when you're at a small winery, you start to understand, oh, my God, they have to go out there in the dirt. Dave, <laughs> Dave had to wash his hands before he came in and talked to you. I don't, don't look I at his take a shower nails. before people are there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you, you know, but that's the thing, right? It's just like Zoom. Everybody suddenly has to get out of their pajamas like, oh, God, we have <laughs> right. to do this really and be like oh, human, you know, well, after you go from that. So I think that this experience of what you're doing is uh, very educational and slows people down to have something very authentic that they're seeking. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, and, and one of the real benefits to doing this model, the buy appointment one group at a time, is that we can take every customer that comes in from wherever they are on their wine journey. Very important yeah. for us, we are not going to talk over your heads. And I've got, you know, as you can imagine, we will get people from all over the spectrum on, I've had some people where we're literally the first winery they've ever visited. And I've had the exact opposite. You know, I've had folks that have been all over the world and now they're here trying the Willamette Valley wines. So we can really customize what we're talking about to really fit each individual customer or group of customers. And just kind of, you know, it sounds silly and simple, but treat them as human beings as opposed yeah. to just yeah. numbers that just came in. Yeah, well, and that that goes in, yeah, that, that connectivity and that's what music does right is musicians musicians want to perform to an audience not do just a typical live stream they want that connectivity they we all learned during COVID every musician I know some did way better actually but majority said dude we want out <laughs> we <Yeah>. want out <laughs> we want to feel that energy back so we can have a better connection so I think you're really right on that um on the wine journey, Nancy has a question, like last night we discussed it, and then I'm like, oh, no, they do this. And I went, actually, I haven't a damn clue what I'm talking about, so I better <laughs> just bring this up. Because then we, we were talking about, you know, the grapes and, and what you were doing, especially with Helios. And we're like, she goes, well, can they plant that right next to, like, you know, the Pinot Noir? Can the reds and whites grow in the same place? And I'm like, well, of course they can. Wineries have different, and then I'm like, well, maybe they do have to move one on a hill, one down below. So can 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 they be mixed? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so they can be mixed as far as they can go right next to each other. You know, when you're planting, you kind of try mm -hmm. to keep, let's say you're planting, you know, Save All Blanc. You'd like to kind of have what we call a block of Save All Blanc, which is, you know, a certain number of rows of a certain length, just to kind of keep all those plants together. It makes it easier just for farming purposes but you, it's not it's not mandatory. So if you really wanted to be tough on yourself, you really could plant a Save All Blanc plant and then the next one you plant a Pinot plant and something else. The key to all that is that grapes are wonderful in that they are self-pollinating. So we do not need bees or any other insects to come through and pollinate the plants for us. And so for that reason, oh, wow. once you've got a vine established, it's very easy to have a crop every year and not have it mix or interbreed. You know, if you, if you think about a pollinator, you know, if, if you were flying from one plant to another, next thing you know, hey, I don't have the same plant that I started with. Whereas here, hey, we know that the consistency of what we plant is going to be exactly the same year to year. I'm glad I asked. I had no idea. See, <laughs> I had no idea. I had a feeling. Just don't tell your mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, because she, she she'll tell you. So, Diva Linda, um, Jupiter, like, did that make you feel like you were flying to Jupiter in happiness? That was like, that's the happy, happy joy juice, don't you think? It is uh, yeah, incredible. It's uh, an incredible, you know, really, really nice, big mouthful. Full. Feel. Yeah, I had to sit down. Really, I had to sit yeah, down. Yeah, you really feel it in there. <laughs> so, uh, I and did. I think maybe, and I think for those of you who are patient, buy two at least, and the first one try now, and the second one leave uh, in mm. your wine case or wherever you're storing your wines for a year, mm -hmm. and see see just what this wine can do. There's not a lot of power in this wine, and I think you might find uh, it smooths out a little bit. Not that it needs to, but it might. 
Um, you know, it just depends on, once again, I always say this, just because I like it doesn't mean you're going to like it. And it doesn't make either one of us wrong. Um, you know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. This one you're going to like. And it's just kind of fun in your journey to try something new, such as just being the only people at a winery and having a, a session. This other thing is to try, especially the reds, a year after you buy them to see what happens. Did it become stronger? Is it the same? Did it become uh, stronger? Did it become smoother? Did it have less acid? Uh, blah, blah, blah. These are things that you learn from. But I think this is a good wine. It's an excellent wine mm -hmm. to try that with. So um, how many acres of this do you have? This uh, grape? So for Pinot Noir, we have five planted acres on our property. All the same clone? Uh, the same there are, it's broken up amongst seven different clones or strains of Pinot Noir. And the Jupiter that you tasted incorporated three of those clones uh, that we blend. And, and it sort of ties back into the musical theme because the, the best way I can describe it is that when I taste any wine, I hear it in my head as, as much as I taste it. And when I taste the individual clones or strains that we're talking about that go into this, it's like I'm listening to a different instrument. And the idea becomes, okay, what do we want to create? And, you know, with Jupiter, we wanted, to, I wanted to create something that felt like it rose all, started at the flow at the beginning, rose all the way through mm -hmm. and onto the finish and took you on a nice ride. So how do the clones that we use accomplish that? How does it hit those points of your palate that we want to see? And then it becomes just blend to taste. Um, it's always a little bit different every year, but the idea is that once you taste a wine of ours from one vintage, when you come back to the next vintage, you'll at least have a good uh, uh, kind of a mindset about what this, what the personality of the wine is. And every year, because of our, we're in Oregon and our weather is so radically different every year that the 2021 version will taste different from the 20 version, which will taste different from the 19 version and so on and so forth. But folks can really compare apples to apples when you're starting with wines that have the same personality. Yeah, because it's a foundation, right? Of this is the rootstock, really, but it's going to change according to weather. I know it's 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 interesting. I I do believe that next time William Shatner beams up, he should take your wine, Jupiter, <laughs> with him. I do think so. I think that, he would that enjoy. Would be awesome. <laughs> I know he loves wine. I don't know if you've ever seen his um, old series. Um, he would brown bag wine and take celebrities, whether they drank wine or not, and take wine they didn't know what they were drinking. And they would have to describe the wine according to their career. So if they were an actor or a singer or whatever, and we do that at parties, especially if you don't know a bunch of people and you're kind of bored, you're like, come on, let's see here, you know, <laughs> and then you know, whether they drink wine or not, drink it, you know, and then, you know, they didn't know if it's two buck chuck or something really special, you know, it's interesting. And I think that's what's so beautiful about your wine, because like I said, eventually, as soon as we opened, we opened Jupiter, I let it air a little bit. We, we tasted it. I sat down. I went, oh, I got to sit down. Not that I'm going to fall down drunk or, yeah. or stupid. You know, it was sit down because like, whoa, this is amazing. Like you need to sit down and experience exactly what you're saying. And then it's a slow lift off. It's not like A to Z. It's, it's a journey. And so that was, and then we waited again and then tried it again at the end of the evening and it had already started to change a little bit, which was mm -hmm. great to, to, I think Linda's dead on about that, about see what happens next. I want to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep it at the bottom of your boat, Linda. Yeah. 
Well, and, and one well, of the things about us is because we are such a small production winery, we so often have to pour wines when they're very young. Um, and it, it really, as much as I would, and, and we do now that we've been in business for a little while, have some library wines that folks can taste when they're here that are a little older, but our latest releases have to get poured sooner than I'd ideally like. Um, and so you're, you're both are absolutely right. One of the things that we talk about our customers to our customers all the time about is, you know, this will develop if you let it sit. On the other hand, for my, for me, I have to make sure that when they're young, they are at least approachable, consumable, and that you can see a roadmap to where they're going. And then everybody will sort of have to take responsibility is where do we want them to get to? You know, do we want to drink them young? Do we want to let, and, and that's, I think Linda nailed it about, you know, get a couple of bottles, enjoy one in the short term, let another one sit, even in a year will make such a big difference for all these wines when we, when we're pouring them. And make brownies. That's what I didn't do. I got your recipe for brownies. We need the brownies. I want brownies with it now. Okay. Well, that's what you, you asked for recipes and it was funny. We don't actually have any for the Save All Blanc, but we have had suggestions um, which is why I told you dill pickle popcorn um, was one of those suggestions. And we've had somebody suggest asparagus with it. Um, another Ooh, yeah. to pair, um, but it's such a, an, a unique wine that it can stand up to some of these really oddball pairings. Um, but I did have recipes for the Pinot. So yes, that's why I, I sent you, um, I have such, but I picked those two because they're the, the most, the two most popular. Um, I think we have a recipe from Chef Ivan Flowers for um, asparagus, a uh, spring asparagus salad. And it's got, um, you slice it like, you know, you just grate over fresh Parmesan cheese and a very light balsamic. And oh, yeah, that would be now that I'm thinking about the cheese paired with that and then the, uh, the asparagus, that would be, huh, can we have more? <laughs> <laughs> See, and Diva sure. Linda, that's what you do is you try all these things, right? You know, so when it comes to pickles, we could do like a deep fried pickle chips. Ooh. Mm. Your Texas is showing out. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here temporarily, but like, you know, that's, we, we travel full time. So it's always something new. So it's kind of interesting to try out, you know, but I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm in Texas and that sounds good. Barb, you have barbecue sauce. So. That goes with that too. Barbecue sauce recipe as for well. Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was going to talk to you. The other thing that we're really known for is that because you mentioned this earlier, lots of Pinot in the Willamette Valley. Um, we're actually known for more than just Pinot. So, um, in addition to the Save All Blanc, we make a Pinot Blanc. We have a Rosé. We also source Ooh. from Eastern Oregon. We source a Syrah and a Cabernet Sauvignon. So. Um, when people come here, um, we are often uh, one of the first places they've been where it's not five Pinots and a Chardonnay dropped in front of them. Um, it's mm. we do a little bit more um, than that. So that that is another um, thing that kind of sets us apart. I think mm. that's interesting about the rosé because yeah. rosé is finicky to me too. It's like it's either gone this way or that way, and I want that way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of variety out there and you can pretty much across the board kind of get what you want. You know, for us, you know, I, I it's interesting. I I have a taste with with our rosé. I've taken the approach that I want a rosé you can have with a bacon cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. So we make our rosé a little bit bigger, a little bit bolder oh, and a mm-hmm. little rounder. So a lot of times with rosé, it's either sweet, which I don't want, 
or acidic, which I also don't want. Right. You know, so so I, mine is softer on the palate, but big enough to where you can food pair it. And we actually sell a lot of it to Texas because when it's 95 degrees and about 95% humidity, y'all are still eating your brisket. So you got to have something <laughs> refreshing enough, but gentle enough, or, or but strong enough to stand up to the food. So has so, it got minerality in there then to kind of, yeah. Yep. yeah, I like that. I like that. Now That's why soil- I think- so- yeah, your soil is part volcanic. Is that correct? It's pretty much all volcanics. That that's one of the oh, things volcanic. about our particular site is that it, it's pretty uniform, and and that's one of the reasons that we have so many different clones of pinot planted. Um, there are sites in the Willamette Valley that have, oh my gosh, there are some that have seven, eight different soil types on it. We don't quite have that, so you know, the complexity that we're looking for is going to come, you know, partially from the soil, but then also from our clonal selections. So we, we kind of have to play both sides of that. Yeah, I think my favorite wines start with the volcanic soil. There's something in that um, that just adds a little something yeah. and uh, a little depth to the wine for sure. There's depth in their earthiness. That really is quite wonderful. So uh Ah, gosh, if you were a little warmer, you could do some outstanding uh, red wines, but good for you for not getting roped into doing wines you can't really do. So good for you. Yeah, no, yeah. You, you can't put a square peg in a round hole, but I, no, I will tell no. you that we are working on some projects here with uh, some different types of red grapes that are grown in cooler climates um, that are very unusual, but that have a track record of producing great wines in our types of climates. They're not going to be things that are as commercially well-known, much like the Save-All. But uh, as you've seen, you can certainly create fantastic wines from grapes that, you know, are, are not going to be on a lot of people's radars. And, you know, if we were a big commercial producer, that might be a problem. But, you know, when you're here at the winery, you get to taste it and, and you get to sort of make your own decisions. And, you know, it, the diversification that Sarah was talking about in terms of both what we produce and what we grow here is going to be so important to our future um, because this area is so heavily Pinot Noir dependent. And and there are very good historical reasons for that. But as the business evolves and develops, we really need to spread out a little bit and and sort of prove, hey, we're not just a one-trick pony here in Oregon. Yeah, don't limit. We do a lot of different things. And people have different tastes. You know, it's like, art you know some people love abstract some people look at it and go i haven't a damn clue what that is you know and i'm not doing it you know so everybody it is an art form you know to me the wine is i think what you're saying is interesting linda about volcanic soil nancy and i've noticed just from the traveling it seems to me that when an area either has a volcanic or has some kind of river that's going or um so the sediment right or it's an area that's being mined. If there's mining, you normally find wine and roses. <laughs> mm-hmm. will grow. Roses will grow where wineries are. And some of the best wines come out of minery, uh, mineries, <laughs> mined areas. Um, yeah, mineries, let's just do that as a new word. Um, but yeah, I, we, I don't know if it's just that there's this minerality happening in the soil that if it's, you can you know, dig gold out of there or silver or whatever it wine. is, hey, we can do <laughs> wine, you know? Is it the uh, iron? Iron's, iron's the real big one there. Um, you know, one of the things about oh. the soil is much like you'd expect from a volcano, right? The, the dirt has this reddish tint to it. Um, so since we've lived here for about 10 years, we've learned that 
white clothes just are not worth buying anymore <laughs> here. Um, and, and so, you know, that that iron that oxidizes once it comes to the surface, that gets into everything, you know. And, and, and like I said, it's it's just it's just part of it. Um, but it gives you that minerality that you're talking about. There, there are oh. other, that's the vast majority of it. Well, as women, we need the iron, and that's why I drink wine now. See? <laughs> there you go. I Healthy. like that. Good for you. I just have one more uh, question or point of point of interest. When you bought your land, it was a tree farm. That well, that might, that might be generous. That that implies there was actually farming going on. Oh, there were Christmas trees, or there were trees on your. Did you you cleared what you what you needed, and you were able to pick your own clones. Some of the wine countries that I've been to or worked for. Um, are, are a little stuck because the clones were decided many years back before the business of cloning or providing different varieties in different ways uh, came about. So you, ha you had an opportunity to study what clones might do best. Did you have, a, did you have any scientists or did you have the local uh, university or the people who do all these clones come out and look at your uh, soil or did you send soil samples in or how did you go about getting choosing your clones so he had a wet white shirt on <laughs> <laughs> so when we, um, when we found the property it actually was not listed um, there it was covered in dead Christmas trees um, it had a relatively new looking house on it and it had a pole barn that I thought would make a great um, winery building. Um, and we we did write an offer, um, we negotiated a price and the offer was contingent on there being some independent soil testing done. We were pretty sure that we had a good site um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, there is a, one of the oldest vineyards um, in the valley is actually our immediate next door neighbor. So, you know, things, Things looked good, but you always obviously want to make sure that you're not sitting on top of a nuclear waste dump or something like that. Um, and, you know, it was a little concerning that the Christmas trees had died repeatedly. They, they had kept replanting and they would get about two feet tall and they would die again. So I wanted to make sure there wasn't something weird going on. Um, but uh, yes, the soil testing came back um, excellent. Um, pretty much what we expected. It did take us about a year to get it cleared off. And then we spent, um, so that would have been 2013. Um, and in 2014, we started planting. Um, the clone selection, um, we knew at that point um, that we had, like Dave said, 100% of this volcanic soil um, in the vineyard space. And the only way uh, to really ensure some great variety was to use um, the clones, right? So to, to plant different types of clones and um, different types of Pinot or strains of Pinot. Um, to your point about how do you pick, right? Um, Pomard is probably the number one clone grown in the valley. So that's kind of a given. Um, as for the rest of them, um, we settled on some Dijon clones. We were sourcing as well originally from um, other micro growers like us in the valley. Um, so we tried to work with people that were really small. Um, so we, but Dave had done a harvest internship. Uh, we joked that he was the world's oldest harvest intern um, at a large winery uh, in the Willamette Valley and worked very closely with um, the winemaker there um, and learned uh, a lot about um, being out in the vineyard and what each of the clones tasted like. 
Um, and so when we were making those decisions, that winemaker actually very generously uh, took us through their barrel room and said, okay, here's this particular clone grown at an elevation um, and aspect very similar to yours. And so here's what it's probably gonna taste like. And so that was really helpful. Uh, oh, that's nice. Yeah, to identify what we wanted and, and what we thought um, would work well. We've made some adjustments over the years um, and we've planted things um, you know, originally we had planned to plant the entire thing to Pinot. Um, it became fairly evident to us very quickly that A, um, there's a lot of Pinot in the Valley and we really didn't need to do that. And B, um, we wanted to differentiate. So we have changed our, we had changed our plan a few times. I don't know, probably about five years ago, we decided, yeah, meh, no more Pinot. Um, so well, what we have is plenty. For what we need. Plenty. In fact, yeah. Than we need really. Um, and we have a hyper hyper vigorous site. Um, we knew we had a high vigor site. We didn't realize quite how vigorous it would be. And so we um, <laughs> our vines tend to produce quite a bit more than we actually need um, without sacrificing the quality that we want. That's and, awesome though. Yeah. Yeah. For the last year actually was the first year we were 100% Pinot independent. Um, we did not source Pinot from anywhere. Um, in 2022, and we actually had so much we sold um, some of it, so that was exciting. Um, you know, that actually, <laughs> wow. Actually I wonder if the Christmas trees actually helped your soil in a way, as like well, a good mulch kind of. Uh, not really. We we literally they they popped right out very easily. Um, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. What we were told was if the uh, pH of your soil is not great for Christmas trees, it's probably great for grapes. Um, and that has proven to be true. So yeah, things that you would never think you'd need to know in life. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no. I had no it's idea. But experience. Yeah. We've learned a lot. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been um, it's been fun um, and it's been exciting, especially in the last year, to see everything kind of come online finally um, and be be uh, independent and not have to deal with. Um, grower drama anymore and so no yeah, yeah. that's that could, I think it's so hard wineries are so hard they're not cheap and it's hard 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 work and then 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 on top of it you're having the human connection of building relationships with people coming into the tasting room you've you've yeah you need some wine <laughs> I think it's amazing Diva Linda you always come up with good people on our shows and good wines. I mean, this is yeah. exceptional. It really, uh, kudos to you guys. I hope you have continued success. And I love that you're diversified because I think, well, we're the blend. So we always think that because, you know, everybody has a different taste, different type, time of growing into different wines. And it's wine, enjoying wine is a journey in its own thing. You know, you don't hit a hole in one every day in golf. And I wouldn't know how to do that. That would be no, but you, you know what I mean? It's, it, it is a journey. So it's a journey for those, you know, savoring the wine and tasting and definitely for you guys, but um, yeah, entrepreneurs. And I love the diversity because it's also adding more to Willamette Valley, to the portfolio, to not just be Pinot Noir. And we've seen this in places where they get known just for one thing. And there's, there's always something more and but just it gets this one track mind about a region, you know, like Julian and apples. <laughs> I'm just going to say Julian San Diego is a four season destination up in the mountains. They do have wine, but all people know is go there for apple days and the apples normally are ripe 
in July, August, and they all go and fall, and then the town gets run over because of this one-track mind that, you know, human beings, we're, we're easy to do that. <laughs> it's easy for us to become one-track, you know? Um, so I think what you're doing is helping your region and helping people understand there's so much more, you know? So, and there is. So Absolutely. thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Diva Linda's got a great article about her wine tasting journey uh, with the Bells Up Winery up on blendradioandtv.com. We also have the recipes on the site, so you can see those up there. And, um, of course, keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Linda is here every first Saturday because she has to be first. She's a diva. And, of course, bellsupwinery.com is the place to go. Do you ship wine, or is it primarily go in? We, we ship all over the country. Um, Did you hear that, everybody? Say that again. Yes. We, we ship wine all over the country. Um, it, it, the, only, the, the main limitation is weather. Um, there are only two states that are troublesome for us, Utah and Kentucky, um, that, we, that usually we have to find a workaround. But other than that, we can get wine to you very easily anywhere you are. So just yeah, give you can just drive over the state line. That's all. Just mm -hmm. come on. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again, Diva Linda. My pleasure.